Good evening, this is Andrew Schechter with Eternal Affairs Media. My podcast, Thursday nights at 10 p.m. on Podbean. Representing Eternal Affairs Media and all the audience we have, including our podcasts and our online presence. Today we have a very special guest. Today we have Erica Wiggenhorn. And I hope I got that right. That's the one thing I forgot to I forgot to verify. I'm pretty sure it's right. So I hope I'm right. Correct me if I'm wrong, Erica. Erica is the founder of Every Life Ministries, bringing the truths of Scripture to transform lives, with an unexpected revival being her fifth release from Moody Publishers, which is the an unexpected revival. She also serves as a writing team for Proverbs 31 Ministries, First Five Teaching App, teaches in various local and national venues, and serves on the women's ministry leadership for her church. She also taught women in the Arizona state prison system and overseas. Erica loves to bring God's word through Bible teaching conferences, seminars, and retreats. She's a graduate of Azusa Pacific University. Erica lives in Phoenix with her husband, Jonathan, and her two children, Elena and Nathan. And for more information about Erica, Bible studies, or writing, or speaking ministry, you can visit www.ericawiggenhorn.com, and I'm sure she'll spell that out for you when we bring her on board. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on Erica and tell us a little bit. Now, one of the things that interested me was uh, you, you were doing ministry based on Ezekiel, which as a, as a minister myself, I, I don't hit Ezekiel that often, and maybe you can, maybe I should uh, more often. Maybe you can enlighten us on that. But let's start out with your book and, and and tell us a little bit about yourself. Go ahead. Hi, Andy. It's so great to be with you today. Uh, yes. So my fifth Bible study through Moody Publishers is an unexpected revival, experiencing God's goodness through disappointment and doubt, uh, which covers the prophecies of Ezekiel. So. Um, kind of an oxymoron, right? We think we're going to experience God's goodness through blessings and abundance, right? That's how revival is going to come when we are happy and we have all the things that we want. And yet what we discover is that God's ways are not our ways. And the people of Ezekiel's day had put God in a box and they expected him to act and behave in a very specific way. They thought that revival could only come uh, through one particular place, and that was through the temple in Jerusalem. They thought revival could only come when the right people were in government. They thought revival could only come when there was economic prosperity and abundant blessing. And God said, um, sorry, sons and daughters of Israel, you are wrong. You have put me in a box. And the moment you put me in that box, you have instantly made me too small. And sadly, a lot of us today in the American church have done the same thing to God. Uh, we have made him too small and we have lost sight of how God often brings revival to his people, not through abundance and prosperity, but through disappointment and through doubt. And the very times when God said no uh, to the things that we asked him, uh, he was actually inviting us to say yes to revival in our own hearts. So that how does Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel is a very unique book. Um, 
like I said, I, I should probably teach it more in my ministry, but how does, how does Ezekiel bind? It's kind of, it's kind of the, the, when you read Ezekiel and you read it through, and I, I reread it in preparation for the interview tonight. I reread the, the entire book just because I was wanted to be ready for the, for the interview and to know what, you know, where it's coming from. And it's very unique because it, it kind of is in the middle, of, in the middle of two books that don't, that don't relate. And it's one of the, one of the few that has its unique take on uh, the believers and the, and the disbelief and the unbelievers. And uh, how does that fit in? And how did you get started with Ezekiel? Yeah. So that's, that's a long story. Uh, Andy, uh, you probably felt, I think most of us feel if we open up our Bibles and we start with Ezekiel, we kind of feel like we've stepped into the middle of a science fiction movie and we're trying to figure out the plot and what is going on because it's such a strange book. Uh, and the thing about Ezekiel is that you can't really read Ezekiel in isolation. You have to realize that Ezekiel is a contemporary of Jeremiah. So while Jeremiah was prophesying within the temple walls, Ezekiel was prophesying to the captives over in Babylon. And it is also a contemporary uh, work of Daniel. So while Ezekiel is prophesying in the nation of Babylon uh, to the captive Israelites, Daniel is serving the king of Babylon in his court in the city of Babylonia uh, at the same time also. And Habakkuk was uh, a predecessor just a few years before both uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So all of these prophets and major players in God's kingdom are all working out God's plans as his servants all simultaneously in various ways. And so I think Ezekiel really opens our eyes to the fact that while we often can only see what God is doing in our own immediate circumstances or our own little part of the world, uh, when we piece all of these portions of scripture together, what we realize is that God is at work through his people and in the lives of his people all over the world, all at the same time. And so unlike the other prophets who primarily dealt with the people of Israel when it came to their prophecies, Ezekiel is one of the only prophets that points to God's heart for global evangelism. And he spends more time talking about his plans for the nations across the world to his servant Ezekiel than he does to any other prophet. And the reason why is because Ezekiel is really our first mention that we get of God's plan for revival, God's ultimate plan uh, to put his Holy Spirit in the lives of all of those who put their faith in him. And so in a lot of ways, Ezekiel is, is the precursor, the, the first mention, if you will, of what we're going to see happen in the book of Acts during Pentecost when the Holy Spirit becomes poured out on all believers in, um, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so it's an exciting book. It's a book where God wants his people to move from a place of religion to relationship with him, uh, where he talks about uh, his people who are so busy 
checking all of the boxes and feeling like if they perform a certain way, then they'll have God's favor and blessing, uh, yet forgetting that what God does not want necessarily is our performance. He wants our heart. Um, he wants us to desire him, to long for him, to seek him. These are the things that God wants from his people more than anything else. And so it's an exciting book, especially in our time, because what God was doing in the lives of his people in the book of Ezekiel is he was refining them and he was bringing a reckoning to uh the institution, the religious institutionalization of his people and bringing them back to the fundamentals of just knowing him and loving him and being in relationship with him. And in a lot of ways, I think we see God doing that exact same thing with the global church today. And I, I think I, in, in, in reading it over and over again, I think that his position as a priest also makes him a little more of a, of a um, uh, po having more of a positive impact and connection with the, with the people at the time. The, the real question I have right now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress and then come back, but I'm looking at today. Let's jump to today and how all of this fits in in the, the Great Revival and, and how, you know, in, the, in Ezekiel's time, the big thing was the... Uh, all the negativity and the problems that were going on and trying to bring people back into the spirit. And I'm actually seeing that myself as a Christian minister today. And tell me just, maybe you can just enlighten me and as, as our audience as to what your thoughts are on, on the, the, the crazy times we have now. And I'm seeing that, you know, there's a lot of people coming out, hitting the streets with these great awakenings and these, and these wonderful Christian revivals. How do you see that uh, influencing us today? Ooh, that's such a great question. Uh, you know, I, growing up, once I became a believer a little later in life, you know, my concept or my definition of a revival looked like, you know, Billy Graham in a huge arena with thousands of people coming forward, right? Like big giant tent revivals, huge crowds, right? That's, that's what came to mind when we thought about revival. And I think God wants to do something much like he did, did and invited the lives of the people in Ezekiel's day. And I think revival in our generation is going to look much different. I don't think it's going to be from some um, pretty polished preacher who gives us an eloquent word. I think it's going to come uh, to the woman who is standing before her kitchen sink and she has kids clamoring all around her and she's weary and she's exhausted and she feels invisible and she feels like she's a bad mom and she's crying out to God, help me, give me strength for this assignment. Uh, I think it's going to come to the student on the campus who uh, looks at the church and feels like there's so much hypocrisy and wants to make a difference and wants to live for Jesus, but doesn't know what that looks like. And they want to have a kingdom impact. They want to do something significant for God. And they're crying out um, in their dorm room or in their bedroom. And they're saying, God, use me. Uh, I think it's going to come to the man who uh, gets up every day and he goes to work and he struggles with the same daily sin that he just can't seem to shake and 
doesn't know where to go for help and doesn't know how to move past it. And he's crying out and he's saying, God, change me. I think that's how revival is going to come. I think it's going to be sparked in individual hearts as they turn to God and say, God, I need you. I want you to take control of my life. I want your help. I want your presence. I want the power that you promised through your Holy Spirit. I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness. Uh, God, I, I am desperate for you. And that person will experience revival because scripture tells us that God draws near to the brokenhearted and he saves those that are crushed in spirit. And so I think that as God allows us to experience more and more disappointment in our circumstances, greater uncertainty in our future, less of an ability to depend on the things that we've always depended on, and we cry out to him in desperation, that's how revival is going to come. And as it comes to one, it will become spread to another and to another and to another. I, that, that's wonderful what you just said, because it actually transitions to my next uh, thing I was going to mention. And, and what I have seen, and, and I, I preach it you know, politically, I'm involved in politics and meet with a lot of people, mostly Christians that are looking to, to find out how to get involved and, and, and bring Christianity and bring, bring God back to, uh, to our nation, which is very important. I mean, that's the whole, why the whole failure of our nation is the lack of God. What, I, what I'm seeing and what I've been seeing over the course of the last 20, 25 years or so is a total disruption of the conventional church system to the point where in our area, and we're a rural area out here, we're actually seeing a lot of these, I call them modern but strict churches they're not this not these loose churches that allow anybody in and don't you don't have to believe in god you don't have to follow the bible they're very strict churches but they're very friendly churches they're they're churches where if you don't have the money you don't have to tithe if you do you know you should tithe and you do if you don't have a uh, if you need something they give and if you have something you give back um, you're seeing a lot of these popping up and you're seeing the conventional catholic church and baptists and all the others uh degrading and going downhill um that's one of the reasons i started my own church what are your thoughts on that do you see that as a as a as a revival of the church system as a whole coming back to god as opposed to cor the corporocracy of most modern churches yeah so what we what we see in the book of ezekiel andy is there's two things that god makes so clear that have to happen in order for revival to come and the first one is repentance. Uh, God basically tells his people, you know, you need to repent of your sin. You need to stop doing these things that are destroying your lives, destroying your nation, destroying your community and and tarnishing my character. Uh, so repentance is the first thing that has to happen. And those happen that happens in individual hearts like we just talked about. But the second thing that God makes clear in the book of Ezekiel that needs to happen is a reckoning. And God spends uh, quite a bit of time chastising Israel's shepherds, the people that were supposed to be pointing others to God and demonstrating who God is and teaching people about God and inviting them into intimacy with God and obedience to God. 
they were, um, they were actually, those shepherds were exploiting the sheep. They were taking advantage of them. They were using their religious positions in order to gain something for themselves. And, and God says to Ezekiel, my shepherds are trampling my sheep and they are, you know, they are muddying the waters for my sheep and they're making life hard for my sheep. And God basically says that he is going to come and punish those shepherds and expose their sin. And I think that's what we're seeing in the modern church right now. We are seeing that reckoning of our shepherds of the global church. And while the enemy may want us to look at that and say, oh, the church is just, you know, so full of bad apples and everybody in the church is a hypocrite. And this is the end of the American church and, and become full of despair. When I read the book of Ezekiel, I actually get excited because when I see God making good on his promises that he issued over 2,500 years ago saying, I will call my shepherds to account of how they treat my sheep. And we see God calling our shepherds today to an account. And I think, man, that what comes right on the heels of that reckoning is revival. And so instead of it discouraging me, Andy, it actually gets me excited because I see that as a precursor to God really moving mightily among the sheep, among the believers across our nation. So out of, out of all of this, and, and I, 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 I enjoy reading not just the Bibles, but there are some Bibles that have a lot of notations in them, which are pretty cool and give you some more of an idea or an idea, idea of how the, the book was put together and how it was created, how God placed these passages. Um, but the big question is out of the whole thing, what something brings you to God and then to Jesus. I, my, 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 my big thing is I, I see these, these uh, folks handing out the, the new Testaments, which is great. I think they've got Jesus as our savior, but without the, the that pedestal of Genesis and Exodus and the first few books of the Bible, and and Ezekiel, everything in the first in the first books, you you can't understand um, Jesus. Now, what 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 actually when you finally re come to that realization? And I, I know it in my heart, but I'm going to ask you to, to relate that. And in my heart, I I, I know the love and, and kindness of Jesus, and I follow His path. I follow the path of God as a whole. What does it bring to other people? How do how do you feel? How do you know when you when you've reached that epitome of uh, of love for Jesus and understanding? I'm not totally sure I understand your question, Andy. What, how do you know when you have saving faith? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah. And in, in, in a, in a sense, it's like how, you know, in our daily lives, you, the spirit comes to us, but how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we attach ourselves to that? And how does it, how does the, the I, I, Ezekiel fit into that too, since that's one of the main passages in your book. But I, and I, th I think if, if, you actually mentioned that uh, uh, about people being more sensitive to the Holy Spirit in their lives. And what does it do for the lives of the follow of Jesus followers? It's actually one of the questions that came to me to, to ask. And I think that it, it's very important because people say, why, why should I come to, to Jesus? I've got a daily life. I don't, I don't need that. How do I, how do I feel that spirit? What does it do for me? I guess is the question. Why do sure. I need Jesus? Sure. Well, 
I think the Bible is pretty clear. Uh, we need Jesus in our lives because he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so the place where the Father is, is heaven. And the place where the Father is not, is hell. And so, you know, it's interesting to me how people will often say, you know, how can a loving God send people to hell? And it's not that a loving God sends people to hell. It's a loving God who says, if you don't want to have anything to do with me, if you don't want me to be part of your life, if you want to live life on your own and have no relationship with me, um, then that's fine. The place where that happens for eternity, where I am not and I will not be part of your life and I will not have a relationship with you. That part is that place is hell. And so it's not that God is sending people there. It's that people are choosing to be there because they don't want to have a relationship with God. And so why do you need Jesus? Well, you need Jesus because you probably don't want to spend an eternity in hell. I'm guessing if people could even see hell for a split second, uh, they would want they would want to be assured that they are not going to go there, uh, which is why scripture gives us a little glimpse of what hell is like, right? We have this uh, this parable that Jesus tells and uh, basically, there is a man, Lazarus, and, and he is spending eternity apart from God, and he is, you know, begging to be able to go back and warn his family and those he loves, you don't want to come here, trust me, you know, um, and so it really is a decision of do you want to spend eternity with God or do you want to spend eternity apart from God? And I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of times people get frustrated and, you know, they, they're coming back. Oh, no, I prayed, I prayed all day long and this didn't happen and I didn't get whatever I wanted or whatever. I look at failure as success. You know, the, a country western song that says the next best thing to winning is losing and people laugh me when i say that i've lost a lot in my life but like thomas edison said when it's fifty thousand attempts to make a light bulb didn't work he's the reporters asked him was it did he fail i said no he got fifty thousand things that i know don't make a light bulb and i think that that is the same faith you need in understanding that what that your path if you fail it's because that was not the path for you um and I'll close on that. I'm going, I want to get more into your book before we before we run out of time because I think that's very important. I want you. To, I have a couple of questions about your writing in your book, but that as far as the failure, do you think that's one of the big problems that people just haven't come to that realization that failure is success? I do, um, to a degree, sure. Uh, my daughter just recently graduated from high school, and her senior quote was, "There is no failure. You either succeed." or you learn. And I think if we can view our failures or what we perceive as failures in that light, uh, we learned, right? Uh, Thomas Edison learned 50,000 ways not to make a light bulb. Uh, there is no failure with God. Uh, I, I think the other thing that we really have to differentiate, Andy, is the difference between faith and trust. 
Uh, faith believes that God can do anything. Faith believes that God can take me to heaven when I die. Faith believes that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Uh, faith believes that God um, is in control. Faith believes uh, God can do anything. Trust believes that God only does the best thing. And scripture makes it clear that God's ways are not our ways. And, and God is often going to do things and not do things that don't make sense to us and won't make sense to us on this side of eternity. You know, the minute I can wrap my mind around every single thing that God does and does not do, I have instantly made him too small because I've made him logical and I've made him rational. And he is, um, he is supernatural. He is uh, infinite while I am finite. He is deity while I am humanity. He is perfection while I am dust. Um, and so we have to move from a place of faith to saying, oh, yeah, I believe God can do anything. Of course he can do anything. He's God to a place of trust where we say, but I believe he only does the best thing. And while I can't always understand that in my limited, finite human mind, I'm going to trust that when he says he is good and when he says he is just and when he says he is righteous and when he says he is perfect and when he says he is altogether lovely and when he says he is infinite and when he says his wisdom is endless, all of those things about him are true. And when I get to eternity, and I am given a new body and a new mind uh, and transformed fully rather than seeing dimly through a veil. I see him in all of his glory face to face. Then all of these things in life that don't make sense, I will suddenly see them from God's perspective and I will stand in utter awe over his wisdom. And that's a good place to sort of close because we're going to, I want you to have some time to talk about your book. Now, as an author myself, people have asked me, why do you write? And they say, do, do you want your book reviewed? Or what do you, I said, I don't care who reads my book. I, I write because the book hasn't been written and I wanted to read it. So I write that book. I write things that people might some might be interested in if they're not, doesn't bother me any. So everybody has a different reason for writing. Can you explain what got you started number one on the path forward to write something like this and 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 what what and what spurred you on and kept you going while you were while you were writing that? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier in the interview that I I came to saving faith later in life. I didn't grow up in the church and I remember right after I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And I was baptized my youth pastor. I was a high school student. My youth pastor gave me my first Bible and all of Jesus's words were in red letters. And I took it home. And my pastor had said to me, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to spend some time in this book every day. And you need to talk to God in prayer. And you need to listen to him speak to you as you read this book. And I went home and I opened it up and 
you know, Jesus was talking about things that I couldn't even conceive what those things were in my mind, you know, a plowshare, a wheat tear, a mustard seed, a yoke. Um, I don't think I've ever seen an oxen growing up in Los Angeles, Andy. Um, and so I remember saying to him, sitting there in my room, trying to read this book, uh, how am I supposed to follow you when I can't even understand you? And I wrestled for a lot of years to try to understand the word of God. And it's not an easy book to understand. And especially if you maybe grew up in church um, and you've heard a lot of sermons and you understand bits and pieces here and there, but you really don't understand how the whole thing fits together. Um, or maybe you were like me and you didn't grow up in a church at all. And so you know, again, it's like you're stepping into the middle of a movie and you're trying to figure out the setting and the plot and who's the good guy and who's the bad guy and who came on the scene first and how they all fit together and who's related to who. And so I began a quest later in life to finally understand the Bible. And, uh, after searching for years for somebody to hand me a secret decoder ring to get it and not getting it, I finally went to my pastor and I said, can you recommend some resources and help me study this book? And he did. And I realized, Andy, that as much as nobody wants to admit it, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians out there who also struggle to read their Bible and to understand it. And while they can sit in church and they can hear a sermon and it makes perfect sense to them and they're following along and, and, and the minister unpacks it and it all resonates when they go home to read it on their own, they feel confused and they feel lost. And so I wanted to create tools um, that people could open up their Bible and people could open up one of my studies and it would almost be like I was sitting there with a cup of coffee next to them as a good friend and just helping them understand the scripture, what it meant, what it means to us today. Why is it important? Why does God want us to know this about him? What does it reveal about humanity? What does it reveal about how we should live? Uh, what does it reveal about how we should treat other people? Um, how does it impact our lives today? Um, and that's really why I write and the ultimate joy of my life is when I receive emails from people that say things like, um, I, I just finished your unexplainable Jesus study. I've never really fully understood Jesus and I have put my faith in Jesus for the first time in my life and I've become a Christian or I just finished your an unexplainable life study. And for the first time in my life, after going through the book of Acts, I feel like I finally understand what it means to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and to serve Jesus with my whole life. Uh, my life has meaning now. It makes sense. I understand the Bible. Um, those are the ultimate joys of my life. And so my hope and my prayer is that as people pick up an unexpected revival, experiencing God's goodness through disappointment and doubt, 
and they walk through the prophecies of Ezekiel, uh, they will come to the end and I will receive some emails that say, for the first time in my life, I finally understand. I don't have to check all the boxes. I don't have to say and do all the right things. I can know that I have a God who loves me passionately. And even when I make mistakes and even when I get off course, and even when I do things that are not pleasing to him, he is always a breath away for me to repent and to run back into my father's arms. And his love for me is eternal and it is unconditional. Um, and that's really why I write, because I want people to know God. I want them to know who he is. And I want them to know that he has a plan and a purpose for their life and that they matter because they have been created by their heavenly father and put in their corner of the world uh, on purpose for a purpose. And he loves them passionately. It's, Eric, this has been absolutely a wonderful. Thank you so much too, for coming out, coming to this interview today. We really appreciate it. It's going to be great for our audience and, uh, maybe help some people find God and find their way back uh, if they aren't there and maybe learn a little bit more. But in closing, though, I would like to uh, uh, look at the, your prurient interests a little bit closer, and, and maybe you can tell us where we can find you and where our listeners can uh, locate your materials and, and what you have to offer. Sure, Andy. Uh, well, you can find me. Uh, my name's Erica Wiggenhorn. Uh, there's only one of me, so you won't get me confused with anyone else if you search me on Google or, uh, you know, whatever uh, web engine you use. Uh, you'll definitely find me there, but uh, I hang out a lot on Instagram, so you can definitely find me there. You can find me on Facebook. It's Erica Wiggenhorn Author. And you can also go to my website, which is just ericawiggenhorn.com. And I have a lot of free resources on there, Andy, that I just want to extend a special invitation to your listeners. Uh, I've got three free eBooks there on the website that they can download on prayer, uh, 50 days to intimacy with God. Uh, on the unexpected revival page, they can download the leader bundle and there are um, there's a resource there called revival prayers if they want to learn how to pray for revival in their families and their churches and their communities. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's just a ton of free stuff on there for people to download and and jumpstart their relationship with God. So that's ericawiggenhorn.com. Um, it's with a C, E-R-I-C-A, and Wiggenhorn is just like it sounds. Uh, we often say it like a wig in a horn, W-I-G-G-E-N, and then horn. Uh, so I would love to connect with anyone out there listening who's saying, man, um, I, I need to know God more than I know him now, or I need to figure out who Jesus is. I'm just really not sure. Um, please come, come visit my website and download some of those free resources. And again, this is uh, Andrew Schechter with the wonderful Erica Wiggenhorn. Please do visit her website. And Erica, if we uh, can hang in there for a moment, we'll say, we'd like to say a prayer. Um, and for some reason, we're having some issues. Do you hear me okay still? I hear you just fine. 
All right. So I'm going to ignore the warning message that's on my screen here. We're going to say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we pray for this wonderful author, Erica Wiggenhorn, that she, her great mission accomplishes what she, what she wants it to accomplish, to bring people back to God, bring people back to Jesus. Um, we pray for all the people that, that encompass our great ministry that you can, and pray that you will, will be able to see her resources and, and support her great, her great mission. And we have to throw a prayer in for the world today because the world's in such turmoil. We pray that things improve in the world and that the wars across the border and, and, and the misery and suffering and enlightenment, that enlightenment comes and that, and that things improve when there's great glory and grace of, of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. With that, we'll say good evening. You're always welcome back, Erica, and I, I, I really enjoyed you. And thank you so much for coming on our on our great show today. And um, I'm going to you know, close with our little bit of music, like we always do. And and you have a great, fantastic uh, week ahead, and, and and good luck with everything you do. You're a wonderful person. Thank you, Andy. Um, good luck in Pennsylvania with your church and this wonderful ministry that you have online here. May God use your faithfulness to reach many people with the message and hope of Jesus and to encourage uh, believers that are tuning in everywhere. So God bless you. All right. And you the same, everybody you have listening, have a great evening. Thanks again, Erica. Thanks again. Have a good night. Thank you. Good night.